Heavenly Father, oh, oh, how you love us. For a moment there, I just wanted to be translated, taken away. Oh, how you love us. Thank you for all that you do every single moment. We thank you in advance. We thank you now. We claim all of this in the most beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's hard to start a sermon when you are in, in this state. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, let me just mute my mic. Um, but um, it is good, it's good. It's good for your soul, right? Um, I hope that everybody who came in uh, received one of these. This is, uh, this is really good. That um, You received one of these scrolls. Uh, Jackie created one of these. She read the spoken word for us. And um, I was sitting next to Edward a moment ago. And Edward actually has opened the scroll already. And uh, he was showing me his cross. And he said, oh, his cross. His cross is also a key. And it's a sword. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure when he said sword, what he meant was a sword, as in the word of God, uh, and that's what he meant as well. And then the key, I'm sure he meant, because he actually said, no, the key is because he can open up the scroll. And I said, ah, that's good, that's good, because I, I explained to him that inside here are, is the word of God. He said, yes, this is the key to open up the word of God. And I thought, genius, all right, all right, I'm with you on this. And, uh, and so it's so true. And I hope that you do take the scroll, uh, because inside here that we looked at last night a little bit, are the last seven words of Christ. And here's something you could try this week. Just uh, take one each day, read them each day, just one of the seven words, and, and pray over it and ask God what it speaks to you. Because as Christ was on the cross, he was looking out for others as well. And maybe God will speak something deep into your life as well, which is actually a good thing to do. Just a, a great way to practice a new way of praying as well and connecting with God. So I'd encourage you to do that, to grab your scroll. If you didn't get one, they are available at the exits as well, near our giving altars right there as well. So I encourage you to do, this, do so. It is important to do so. God is good, and it is wonderful to be able to say his name all the time. Now... I know that some of you, and I see some new faces as well, but some of you are aware that as you come to church and we look at these passages, that there are so many ways for faith development to take place. There's so many ways for you to grow. And I just wanted to remind you that there are at least seven different ways that we encourage you to connect with the Word of God before you even arrive here. And one of them, obviously, is it's going to happen now, but there's a commentary that we try to write. I try to write a, a little commentary on the text of John chapter 20 that you heard read today, and it's in Asana. If you don't know how to get on there, just contact us. We'll add you to it, and what I do is I kind of explain verse by verse some application about what this means, how you can apply it to your kids and your life, and so I break the whole text down. I don't include everything inside the commentary stuff inside there that I include inside the sermon because the sermon's just truncated. So there's a lot of things inside there that you're like, oh man, I wish I knew about the text, what this meant, and what did he mean when he went through the doors and it just appeared inside there. So I kind of explain all of that side inside the commentary inside there. You can connect with a, a connect group after worship today. Go to a connect group. Some of them study our quarterly. Some of them actually discuss the sermons as well. And so you're welcome to do that. All ages, I encourage you to do that because it's great to get into the Word. Then we have the daily walk, and we send the daily walk out by email to over 10,000 people. It's translated into lots of languages. But the daily walk has a reflection every day 
for you, for your family, for your kids, to kind of explain the text. You get to actually read the text in different translations as well. So you kind of get a, a, a version inside, you know, the message, inside the English Standard Version, the New, New International Version, whatever it may be, to kind of broaden your picture before you, you just take this text in one time. It's to kind of like, how can I grow inside here? Then we have the Daily Walk podcast that Becky and I, my wife and I, we do this every single day. It's 10 minutes. We, we literally, we just read the passage and then we discuss it live, unedited. Often I would like to edit it, uh, but, uh, but that's what happens. It's unedited. And so we just talk about the text and apply it to our life and our, and our reflections on that. And that's just 10 minutes. You can just listen to that and reflect on what does this mean and talk about it with each other, and life groups as well. You can actually connect with each other and have life groups. There are some that meet here, some meet further afield. And of course, there's the sermon that you have today where we then open this passage up one more time to you, and of course, the spoken word that you heard Jackie actually read to us and the words to remember. So there's so many ways that we hope that you come here prepared to hear this. But some of you are like, man, I didn't even know it was in John. I'm like, I'm surprised we're in John. So for that, that's why we, we read the passage to you, and that's why we, we kind of like hone in on it one more time, just to make sure you're aware of where we are and how important it is that you can at least listen to it one time inside there. We have known God. We have experienced and we have believed, and so many of us have done this. And the children's international version that we have for the words to remember took the word blessed where it says, you know, if you believe, it says you're blessed, but it actually used a different word. It said that you'll be truly, the phrase was, truly happy. How many of you feel that you are truly happy? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Three of you are truly happy. All right, that's great. All right, you know, no, I mean, more than you were, were, three of you were there truly happy. It's, it's difficult to be truly happy, yet God says that if you believe, you should be truly happy. So we come to the end of this Easter series here, and I know some of you are thinking, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll go to Red Rocks tomorrow morning to the sunrise service, which, which I did last year with my wife, Becky. She goes every year. I'm not going tomorrow just because it was horrible last year. It was cold and snow, and I thought about divorcing her. I mean, I was like, it's the end. Who needs to stay with this woman? But, you know, the doves didn't even want to come out at the end of the service. They were like, come on, resurrection, go. They're like, it's cold. And I was like, yeah, leave them alone. But, you know, the weather, it's going to be beautiful tomorrow, allegedly. I mean, they say there are three million days of sunshine in Colorado, except for the day that you need it. I've experienced that. I understand this. So truly happy. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, we try to work through this all the time. Maybe it's because we don't believe, because it is harder all the time to believe. Is it not? It is harder to believe things all the time. Have you noticed that the news is even hard to believe? I mean, for instance, there was the, the Mueller report that came out today. Now, don't leave. I know something like, don't go offline just yet. Just hang on. All right? The Mueller report came out. I know you're like, what is he going to say about the Mueller report? People are like pulling out their ballot cards are ready to vote. No, no, just hang in a second. Hang on a second. The Mueller report was fun. <laughs> it's amazing, all right? Because as it came out, 448 pages, 993 sections were redacted. <laughs> and I kind of like this. And you're like, why? Because I love things that are redacted. It makes me feel like I'm in a movie. 
And I love movies when they're redacted because that's the juicy stuff, like who killed JFK? Aliens from another country. I mean, it's going to be fun stuff that's redacted. So I did some research into this on your behalf. I, I looked up why it is that things are redacted. And, and, I, and I'm going to just let you know that there is a, a lot of interesting history inside this. And so you should know this. In 1989, 1989, when I was a mere 17 years old, and the Berlin Wall came down, and the Stasi police, you know, the, the enemy at the time, uh, they found 15,000 bags of shredded material. All right? So this is their redacted material. 15,000 bags. In 2012, in the United States alone, they found 95 million documents redacted. Wow, we have improved. <laughs> We went from 15,000 with the Stasi to 95 million documents in 2012, redacted documents. It would take 100 million people working all day long, their entire lives, not going to Red Rocks, <laughs> to be able to read what the redacted material means, to be able to explain what's going on inside there. So then I worked out, I, I, I googled, you know, how to work out, how do you know what's redacted and what's not? So the National Security Archive says this, redacting a document is an art not a science. I was like, ah, unagi. Human objectivity shapes so much. So basically, somebody's reading, and they've got a black marker, and as they're reading, they're like, black mark, black mark. Oh, page doesn't look pretty. Let's continue. <laughs> it's like snakes and ladders. And they're like, maybe if I make a parallel, it'll look like the equal sign. Yes! And that's how they read that. It's an art. So they're kind of making the pages look like, oh, that looks like something from a movie. I'll redact that. That's how they do it. It's an art. It's not like the, that should be covered up. It's just like, oh, yes, pretty. <laughs> that's how they do it. And that's the official word from the National Security Archive. It's not a science. It's just an art. I was like, very impressive. Does it make it easier to believe? Mm. Since the 1990s, it has become harder and harder to believe things. Do you remember that movie that came out with Sandra Bullock called The Net, 1995? It was amazing. I remember this because I got married in 1995, and I watched this movie, and I was like, oh, our identity could be stolen one day. Let's not ever order pizza. <laughs> because they'll know everything about us. Well, clearly, her problem was that she was just staying at home all the time. That's why she should come to church on time. Mm, yeah, so I'm mentioning this again. But, uh, but it's always important. And this is what happens, is that what happened as a result of that movie and many more after that is that we all became scared of information. We started to struggle with believing anything. Today, we don't believe anything anymore. It's really difficult. Even when the schools in Colorado closed down last week, news started to come out. Oh, it's fake. There was no girl. There was no attempt. It was just a hoax. I'm like, nobody knows anymore. It's difficult. Can you believe anything? I was flying back on Thursday this week. And I'm not making this up. <laughs> I was flying back on Thursday this week from Sacramento to Denver. And uh, as I was en route, um, suddenly the intercom system comes on. And this young man called Bob. Now, obviously, when I say Bob, I don't mean Bob Ambler, right? I just, just for the record, there is a, a legend in the church. His name is Bob Ambler. When he speaks, you will understand he's a legend. But, uh, but, but I use the name Bob because Bob is just the, the great name. So there's this guy called Bob, 
and, uh, and he starts speaking on, on the intercom. And, I, and as I was working on some notes for my sermon and thinking some ideas, I had my iPad open. So I started to, I thought, I better write down what he's saying straight away. So here it is verbatim. Hey, everyone. I'm one of the passengers on this flight. Hope everyone's having a great flight. I'm going to die. All right, no, no. <laughs> um, and so, so I was like, what is Bob going to say next? So I have some good news. He was a very young man, by the way. I want to share with all of you. And I thought, I know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do, right? What's he going to do? Propose. That's what I thought. He's going to propose marriage. I thought, oh, this is going to be a great illustration. I'll use it inside a Valentine's sermon. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. No, I'm going to use it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, not proposing marriage. <laughs> this is going to be that one. No, not at all. So this, this is what he says. I have some good news. I know we think about Easter. Uh-huh. We think about eggs, which the kids told us. And we think about chocolate and bunnies. But you know, Notre Dame was burnt down this week, and the only thing they found left inside was a cross. Isn't that incredible? At this point, all the lights start flashing. Now, I should let you know um, that, uh, that I did get upgraded on this flight. So I was originally in economy, and I got upgraded to first class, which is really beautiful, because you know they give you towels, and they give you cashew nuts, and, and they give you massages, and no, no, no. So, <laughs> but I got upgraded on this flight. So this is what he starts to say. He says, God sent his son to die so that we could receive eternal life, not to condemn the world. The good news is that Jesus loves you, and he has plans for you. Christ is alive. Well, well this is just like it's exploding right now because the people are like flashing the lights. And, and the difference is that in economy, in the plane, right, they have one flight attendant to take care of everybody because I fly that all the time, right? Economy, they tell you to buckle up. When the lights come on, buckle up. But in first class, it doesn't matter what you do. They have 5,000 attendants, right? The, the lights come on, you're like, well, I feel like getting up anyway. Certainly get up. Would you like a drink while the flight, the plane's all over the place? Certainly, I'll bring you one to you. Would you like me to help you? Absolutely. This is all taking place in first class. In economy, like, stay seated, because there's only one person back there. So in first class now, all the lights are going on. He's talking about Jesus, and they're going livid. They're like, what is going on? So then the flight attendants in first class, they suddenly they look back at this young flight attendant in the back, and clearly she was just a young flight attendant who had given the intercom system to Bob. Oh, no. And they're in the front here, and they're just like this. They just went like this. No, no, switch it off, switch it off. We're all going to get fired. And these people... And I, I was just like, what is going on? So I'm sitting down here, and I always get an aisle seat, so I'm sitting down here in the aisle seat, and she moves over to talk to them, so I do the, the kind of like stretch the neck thing, you know, because you're eavesdropping, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. So I'm trying to listen as best as I can. And then I'm like, oh, forget it, I just turn my head. And I'm looking now directly to try and use both ears to listen to what they're saying. And they said, how dare you, united, you know, offend me this way by allowing somebody to speak about something that I don't believe in through the system. And I was like, wow, wow. She just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm apologizing, apologizing. She apologized over and over and over again. I don't think all the hand towels and all the cashew nuts and all the stuff could actually calm them down. They were livid. But this young man... Oh, man, he was so on fire. He was like, 
Christ is alive. I just want you to know. I want you to know. His voice was just so, it was so sincere, so energetic. He was just like, look, it's Easter. I believe. And I want you to know that it's not just about the bunnies. It's about, it's about Jesus. He's risen. And he said, he said, your day can be better. Your life can be better. And Jesus loves you and he has plans for you. And I love you. And then he hung up on the front lane. Oh, man. We struggle so much, don't we? I think it's because we want Jesus to be an idol, not to be God. We love so many other religions because all the other religions, honestly, can be idols than Christianity. Christianity calls for us to look to God who says, I love you, created you. Creation was created out of, out of love, not out of an accident, not out of anger, not out of like, like vengeance, but actually out of beauty and out of love. I created you for purpose, for something amazing, and I want that love to be returned because I love you first. There's something beautiful in the narrative that's huge, but it means that we have to belong to God and we have to choose to belong to God. But honestly, we would prefer anything else than that. That's what John, in our text today in John chapter 20, that's what John is actually struggling with. That's what he's thinking about. That's what he's just worried about. He's just thinking to himself, oh my goodness, all he's stressing about here is this. He's saying, I look at the people, I look at them, and I think to myself, they are the second generation. How are they going to believe? How are they going to hang into any of this? So he says in John chapter 20, at the very end there, and this was not part of spoken words, so this is a bonus. You get one, get the second one for free. Here it is, verse 30. John chapter 20, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is what John is saying. He's saying, I just want you to believe this more than anything. And I I could have written about anything, but I chose to to write these stories He could have written about the 40 days and all that happened after the ascension, but he didn't. Instead, I think that he had before him the First Testament. I think that he had all the scrolls of all of his brothers that had written. And I think that as he looked at his scrolls, he thought to himself, man, I've got my brother James's scroll right here before me. And he said, oh, oh boy, James, my brother, he didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. But boy, did he get it right. Without faith, without works and faith put together, you have nothing. You need to actually have love, but love has to have action. You can't say, I love someone and do nothing. You've got to be able to follow through on something. James, oh yeah, he got it. I think that actually as he looked at the text and he thought of himself and he pulled all the scrolls along and he picked up his scroll and looked at Paul and he said, man, I need a crane to pick up all of Paul's scrolls. He's got so many inside here. And he thought to himself, man, Paul, look at all the stuff he had. He understood it so well and he understood that Jesus, man, he thought, if I could have been crucified instead of Jesus, I would have done that. But Paul understood. Paul understood what it is to have somebody love him, to accept him, to lift him up. He knows what it is to be forgiven. He knows what it is to be accepted. And he said, that's great. And then he thought, and he pulled the scroll out, and he wrote about, read about Peter, and said, ah, Peter, he didn't write a lot. That's because he had Luke. (laughs) 
Luke wrote all of Peter's thoughts for him. And he said, but Peter, Peter understood. He understood that what Jesus said of Peter, who was the guy who had the six pack, who looked like Brad Pitt, who had the charisma, who walked everywhere, and everyone wanting to follow Peter, that Peter, I need you to be this kind of person that is just humble, this person that actually loves the sheep. And at the end, Peter got it. So John is kind of there sitting in a graveyard, reading all the tombstones, the headstones. And as he's reading them, I can imagine that he's thinking, it was just like yesterday, when I was just there with Mary and Martha, and I was at the cross, and I had Peter and James and John. I mean, I bet you he's thinking, boy, how do I tell these people that they need to believe. Oh, boy, I wonder, how do I capture this? I could tell them about those 40 days with Jesus, but I need them to see something, something about this Jesus. They've got all these other gospels and all these other stories, and they've got the entire First Testament. And he's thinking, I've just got to articulate something powerful here that's just going to linger with them. That's why I believe he begins his gospel with the powerful and epic words where he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God I mean that's it he's just like Jesus is the word he was with God and he will always be with God and he is God I mean this is who he is and then he scrolls down to verse 14 he says and the word Jesus became flesh And he intentionally chooses this and he says, and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. We saw it, my friends, we saw it. And I need you to believe us. As I stand in this graveyard with the legends who saw it, who didn't even understand it at the time, that we walked with him, that we broke bread with him. When we had that meal, boy, If we had known, if we had known the significance of it, boy, we would have been so different. As I laid my my head on his chest, boy, I would have been different. We didn't understand, but I'm telling you, I write all of this so you will know he is real and he is risen and he has defeated death and there is nobody else on this planet that has another way. It is Jesus. So we celebrate this meal. We celebrate this meal because this meal is a reminder, a deep reminder to us of our commitment to believing. For some of you today, I know for some of you today, this may be the very first time you celebrate this meal. For some of you today, this may be the very first time that you actually recommit yourself. So I'm just going to ask you to, if you're committing yourself to Jesus this time and you're like, you don't know what to do with it, then other just confessing and saying, Jesus, I accept that you died for me, that your blood spilled for me, and that I have a guarantee of salvation. And you want to do something, then come and seek to talk to one of the elders today, talk to myself or one of the pastors, and let's help you on this journey. If you're recommitting your life today, If you're recommitting your life and you want to know how to develop this with your faith journey, then come and talk to us. If you love God and you want to know what it is to actually take your love and put it in action because it's just not about words, but actually following through, then come and talk to us. But isn't it time that you just take all those crazy thoughts and just say, oh, I believe. 
I believe the Word is Jesus. That's what I believe. 